The gospel reading for the morning is from the 15th chapter of Luke. Listen for God's word. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? The word of the Lord. One of my African-American pastor colleagues says that in his church tradition, but I suspect in our church tradition as well, you really can't understand church unless you understand church folk. Luke 15 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible for church folk. Jesus talks a lot through the Gospels. Jesus talks a lot, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. There was something about the way Jesus talked that was very different from the way other people talked. Jesus one day went to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he was talking to them. Mary could not pull herself away to help Martha because of Jesus talking. There was something about the way Jesus talked that was different than the way other people talked. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and when Jesus came to town one day, he climbed a tree to look at Jesus, but Jesus saw him and talked to him and said, come down, you are going you are going with me to your house this day. And whatever they talked about there, by the end of the day, Zacchaeus was giving half of what he owned to help the poor. There was something about the way Jesus talked that was different than the way other people talked. Once they dragged a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery in John's gospel to Jesus, and he was writing on the ground at first. I would love to know what he was writing on the ground. And when they kept on pushing him and pushing him, he finally said, let the one who is without sin throw the first stone, and he resumed writing. There was something about the way Jesus talked that was different than the way other people talked. When the scribes and Pharisees in that scene, the church folk, when the church folk heard what Jesus said, they went away. And Jesus stood up, looked at the woman and said, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. There was something about the way Jesus talked that was very different than the way other people talked. So in Luke 15, Luke tells us that Jesus was talking. And some tax collectors and some sinners came near to listen to him. Notice, the tax collectors and sinners are not drawing near to listen to the scribes and Pharisees. Maybe what we church folk have to say isn't what people in need of help need to hear. Maybe we church folk, 
what we have spent centuries in the church saying. If you're going to come to church, you have to dress a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way and think a certain way. Maybe what we church folk have to say, if it's not in the minutes of the previous meeting, we'll take it up under new business at our next meeting, provided there's a sufficient quorum. Maybe what church folk have to say, you're not in with God unless you believe this and not that, unless you agree with me, unless you recycle or fly the flag or speak in tongues, maybe what church folk have to say, this is the way slavery got justified in the church. This is the way people tried to keep women quiet in church for centuries. These were the underpinnings of apartheid. Maybe what church folk have to say, we will now commence three years to produce a five-year plan of where we think we're going and by majority vote decide what God is doing among us. Maybe what church folk have to say, be yourself, but please remember when you come in here, we clean up well so people cannot see our stains and people cannot see our strains. Maybe what church folk have to say isn't what people in need of hope need to hear. Maybe those of us who are church folk need to speak a little less and listen to Jesus a little more. We who are church folk often do or say little to invite people who are on the outside to come in and get close and listen to Jesus. So Luke 15 tells us that Jesus was talking, and some of the tax collectors and sinners came near to him, and verse 2 tells us that these church folk were grumbling. Imagine that, people grumbling in church. I know it's hard to believe, but try to enter into that fantasy just for a minute and entertain it. So here we have church folk who are scrutinizing and monitoring and grumbling. And Jesus tells three parables, one about a lost sheep, one about a lost coin, and one about a lost child. Jesus says, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep, wouldn't leave the 99 who are with you and go after the one that is lost until it is found? Now, it's important to remember that Jesus told these three parables, lost sheep, lost coin, lost child, to tell us something about God, how God cares for us, how God sees us as, as valuable as the 99 other sheep, as the nine other coins, as the other child. I've heard so many attempts to turn these around to something about how we should act, some moral imperative or caretaking role, but here God is the shepherd. Here God is the woman who has lost the coin. Here God is the father who loves prodigiously. Look at what Jesus says in this first parable. A sheep, in case you haven't figured that out, that's us, you and me. All we like sheep have gone astray. A sheep gets lost. Now, two quick things to note about this word picture that Jesus is painting. Did you know that sheep can only see six feet in front of them? They can only see six feet in front of their face, which means that sheep get lost um, six feet at a time. 
See, what happens is they're grazing here, and they think, oh, I think I'll go over there. But they can only see to there, so they go to there. And then they go, huh, six feet. They can only see six feet, so they go down to here. Then they go, well, this is nice, but now I'm done with that. Emily, could you hold that for a second? Just... Then they go six more feet over to here, and then they go six more feet over to here. Could you hold that for a second for me? Thank you. Then they go six more feet. Now, what has just happened? He's lost. He's lost. <laughs> I can't see my way. Thanks. I can't see my way back to the fold. I just did it six. I didn't set out to end up here. I just decided to follow six feet, six feet, six feet, six feet. And all of a sudden, I'm way over there. I can't find my way back. It's not like the sheep woke up one day and said, I think I'll graze in Waco today. I think I'll go a road trip. It's not like the sheep said, it would be nice to be at the beach today. I'll head there. Not at all. We, like the sheep, rarely get lost because we just set out like we're on fire. We get lost a little bit at a time. Sometimes it's grazing on just a little Bible. You know, you don't want to do too much Bible. That could get you in trouble. Maybe something prepackaged and slick. You don't want to do a deep dive into the Bible. That's six feet. Sometimes it's not noticing that when you get your bank statements or your financial statements, you feel up if the numbers are up and you feel down if the numbers are down, six feet. Sometimes it's enjoying just a small grudge. Nothing big, mind you, just enough to kind of savor and chew on a grudge against somebody else, six feet. Sometimes it's letting stress become your life, six feet. Sometimes it's letting your schedule or, or your overscheduling get you in your life, six feet. Sometimes it's modeling for our children to worship at the altar of busy, six feet. Sometimes it's listening to just a little gossip. You're a good group. We don't listen to big gossip, just a little gossip. You know, some email gossip, some parking lot after the meeting gossip, six feet, six feet. Sometimes it's no Bible, no prayer, six feet, six feet. Sometimes it's, you know, church, coming to church can be stressful. It's taking a few Sundays off, six feet. Sometimes it's no worship for a long time, six more feet. Sometimes it's I don't agree, so I'm not staying, six feet. Sometimes it's let's discuss this and discuss it and discuss it and let's not do anything. Let's just discuss it six feet. Sometimes it's I don't like the way they do this, six feet. Sometimes it's I heard from a reliable source something that got me upset, six feet. Sometimes I don't want to be with those hypocrites, six feet. We get lost like sheep just a little bit at a time. But look what happens when the sheep gets lost. The sheep has no ability to get back to the fold. It can't see that far. And here's the first powerful point that Jesus makes about God. Because you can't find your way back to the good shepherd. The good shepherd is always going out to find you. The shepherd looks and looks and looks, leaving the other 99 until the shepherd finds you. Sooner or later, we all get lost. Name your category. And can't find our way back. 
But look at what Jesus says in the parable. God is looking for you today. Or maybe you'll be lost tomorrow or the day after. God will always be out looking and finding you. God will not give up until you're found. I'm aware there's a disconnect here. I mean, you're the ones who got yourself to church today. Why am I telling you what happens when you get lost out there? But keep reading. The very next parable, Jesus says, what woman who, if she loses a coin, will not sweep the house? Where is the coin lost? In the house. You can be in the house and still be lost. But the good news is that God will not give up looking for you until God finds you. Right now, the good shepherd has lost the 99 and is looking for you. But now, because of those church folk in verse 2, there are, let's face it, a lot of people who run from the church. Why? Because we church folk are pretty good about giving lectures. We church folk are pretty good about telling others how they should act and how they should think and when you're wrong and when you're right, if you agree with me. Listen to enough church folk and you can become absolutely convinced that you can never know enough, read enough, think enough, be informed enough, be right enough, be pure enough to ever get to God. But while we church folk tend on giving you a lecture, the good shepherd wants to give you a lift. That's the difference. In the text in verse 5, when God finds you, God will lift you up. Jesus knows that you and I are weak, and if we've been lost, we are shaky, body and soul. We'll never be able to make it back on our own strength. So Jesus lifts you up. The good shepherd not only looks for you, the good shepherd lifts you. Whoever you are, however long you've been lost, Jesus does not want to hurt you. Jesus wants to help you. Jesus does not want to lay you out. Jesus wants to lift you up. Without that promise, who here can live? The late great African-American preacher, Dr. Frederick Sampson, loved to tell a story about once when he was at California at a conference. He loved to walk on the beach, so early one morning he was walking on the beach in front of his hotel when he came upon a crane playing with a fish. The crane had caught the fish in his mouth and was standing right where the waves kind of end on the sand. What the crane would do would pick up the fish when the water came in, because otherwise the fish could swim to freedom. But then when the water went back out, the crane would pick up the fish and play around with it and have it in its mouth. And the water would come back in and he would pick it up and then back down when the water comes out. Having a ball! Well, the crane was having a good time. I'm not too sure about the fish. Um, not noticing that with every wave coming in, the sand was sinking the crane and its feet farther down into the sand. So finally, bored of the game, the crane swallows the fish and is ready to lift off and fly, and he can't. He's stuck in the surf. So Dr. Sampson, seeing this, he was six foot four, goes over, kind of towering over this crane, trying to help him and reaches down, but the crane's having nothing to do with that. And Big Beak just cuts Dr. Sampson's hand. And Dr. Sampson was thinking, I wish I could speak crane because I would, ex 
explain to this crane that I'm not trying to hurt it, I'm trying to help it. Let's face it, there is stuff that happens with us every single day that just seems to sink us lower and lower. Sometimes it's something we do to ourselves. Sometimes it just happens to us. And there are times when we try to get up and out and we're just stuck. And God says, I wish I could speak human so I can let them know I'm not trying to hurt them, I'm trying to help them. And that's just the point. God, after sending messenger after messenger after messenger, finally pulled off the celestial garments and put on a robe of flesh and blood at Bethlehem to show that God did not come to hurt us, but to help us. And then what Jesus says next is what only the good shepherd can say. A frightened sheep, a long way from the fold, terrified, just like that crane, its heart is just racing. Our fear seizes us, and our heart just races. Every sound it hears is a potential threat. It can only see six feet. So with its heart racing and its limbs weak, the good shepherd not only lifts it up, the good shepherd lays it on its shoulder. Why? Because the warmth of the good shepherd's body warms the sheep. And while there, the shepherd can feel the slow, steady heartbeat of the shepherd. And little by little, that racing heart is calmed and the fear subsides, it calms the sheep because it realizes it's safe in the good shepherd's arms. No more danger, safe in the shepherd's arms. No more striving, safe in the shepherd's arms. No more danger, safe in the shepherd's arms. No more fear, safe in the shepherd's arms. The good shepherd looks not just to go look for you, not just to lift you up. The good shepherd every single time will love you back into the fold. For decades at Howard University Hospital in Washington, D.C., there has been a ward for babies who were born to drug-addicted mothers, therefore producing babies who were drug-addicted when they were born. At the beginning, they used uh, IVs running out of almost every tiny little appendage of these babies, trying to flush the drugs from the system, and they had about a 40% success rate. So the hospital formed what it called a grandparent brigade, mostly retired women and men who would volunteer and come to the hospital and sp spend eight hours a day just carrying crack-addicted babies around in their arms, rocking them, caressing them, loving them. They found that in loving the crack out of those babies, they had an 85% success rate. It's love that got rid of the poison. 
Friends, this is the oldest message we have and it is still the most powerful and we forget it as individuals and as a church at our peril. God's love is greater than any law. God's love is greater than any of our agendas. God's love is greater than any insight. God's love is greater than anything you are facing. God's love is greater than all our fears put together. God not only wants you to know that the good shepherd is always out looking for you, God will, by the good shepherd, lift you up. God will call you home. Never forget, you are safe in the arms of the good shepherd. Amen.